Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. In this episode, we bring back Jacob Cook to discuss another record-breaking singles day shopping extravaganza. We asked Jacob whether his expectations were met and how the day performed relative to his expectations. We also discussed the nuances between the various platforms and their individual performances and call out some of the successful marketing tactics used this year. We also discussed this year's GMV compared to 2020, whether there is room for foreign brands to be successful going forward, what to know about China's Personal Information Protection Law, or PIPL for short, and the demographic differences and influences in China versus Southeast Asia. Enjoy. They've really allowed customers to sort of center their attention on the live streamers because you know, these aren't just one or two people in these operations. In a lot of cases, they've got hundreds of people that are scouring for partners on the different products that are the best deal. So when people see products on these shows, they know already that it's the best price. You know, if you look back to buying behavior from a couple of years ago, people would have had to buy on buying a certain type of product. They'd, they'd look around, they'd shop around. Now that we're not getting a whole bunch more users onto the team all year after year like we were before, what's happening now is there's mechanisms in place for people to buy more. So if they see that lipstick, they don't need to go make 10 searches to make sure they're getting the best price. The streamers are guaranteeing that they're going to get the best price, giving them more time for shopping. Home to over 4 billion people, the Asia-Pacific region boasts one of the most powerful consumer markets on the planet. Not only is it home to half the world's under 30 population, but it's also home to more than half the world's internet users. It's a market no globally-minded brand should ignore, but entering markets like China is no easy task. Just ask the likes of Microsoft, Google, Uber, and Facebook. Times are changing, and with the right partners, doors are slowly opening as more and more companies find success expanding into the markets of the Middle Kingdom. I myself spent eight years in China, mostly as a venture capitalist, helping early-stage tech companies enter the Asia-Pacific market successfully. This show is dedicated to uncovering and examining successful China entry and growth strategies by interviewing the people behind those success stories. My name is Todd Embley, and welcome to The Negotiation, brought to you by WPIC Marketing and Technology. Jacob, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Doing well. Doing well, Todd. You're not uh, burnt out after a busy, busy past 10 days or so? No, I think I'm going to get a good weekend here, get a little bit of a break. But uh, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's certainly a lot of work. Yeah, I bet. So as you know, I alluded to in the intro, uh, likely, <laughs> we are talking about 11-11, doing a bit of a postmortem on what Singles Day looked like. I know there's not much of a break before 12-12, which is kind of right around the corner. But let's uh, let's first start out focusing on 11-11. How did the festival perform relative to your expectations? Almost bang on, actually. Um, you know, I think we were talking a little bit before uh, 11-11 in terms of what we were expecting. You know, using a lot of the 618 data, understanding what was going to be popular, you know, getting inventory here months in advance. Um, but everything kind of came in um, relatively as expected, actually. A um, couple of categories came in a little bit over. Uh, toys, I think, was the only one that came in a little bit under. But everything almost bang on, Todd, with what we expected. Okay, well, I guess my follow-up question of uh, what may have surprised you, you know, and this was written, of course, uh, I was kind of throwing some things together before we were going to do this. So that question doesn't really land anymore because what about, what about on a platform level? Was there, you know, category level? Sure. Okay. There was, you know, pretty much as we expected. What about from a platform level where people were shopping or anything to do with that? You know, it's still primarily a Tmall dominated shopping festival, but what... Um 
you know, as, as we saw too, I mean, there's been new regulatory changes in China. We never really expected that to have a massive impact on this year's 11.11. But I suspect next year, we're going to be talking about a lot more platforms um, than sort of just the two or three big ones. Can you allude, uh, just dive into that a little bit more? So more platforms, so are they relaxing or releasing or encouraging? What's going on where you're saying that there'll be actually more players in the market come this time next year? Well, the walled garden approach has now become illegal. So whereby, you know, incentives to not you know, use somebody else's platform have been lowered. Um, also, it's been, um, you can now link to platforms. So, you know, WeChat would never take Alibaba links, for example, as just being one. And then, of course, the backend logistics infrastructures, we saw the IPO in June of, of JD. Um, so they're not allowed to monopolize them, um, which is going to allow the short video platforms, especially where, you know, um, most of the eyeballs in China now are certainly in terms of daily average users and monthly average users um, to really start to get into the e-commerce game. Now we've seen it. We saw Douyin just open up cross-border the other week. Um, but this time next year, because they've already got the traffic, it's only natural that they're going to get a larger share of the e-commerce pie as well. So we're, I'm, I'm curious where that's coming from then. I mean, do you have any idea of what their end game is and potentially it is to end a previous game or are they trying to maybe start a new game? I mean, are they really wanting to encourage a lot more competition? I mean, you mentioned the Walt Gardens. I remember back in the day that when you were searching on, on Baidu, you you could not get you know, search results showing up where you could direct purchase from Alibaba, any of their their ecosystem, it was all blocked. You had to leave the Baidu ecosystem, go into the the Alibaba ecosystem and then make your purchase, which is then effectively cutting Baidu out of getting any revenue from linking the, you know, research to the purchase a la Google and Amazon. Right. So do, any thoughts on why China's doing this now? Well, that's right. Um well, competition in general is pretty good for consumption. I think if we look at sort of the overall plans, I mean, in the last five-year plan, boosting consumption was, was domestic consumption was part of it. Um, and the more competition that's out there, it's generally seen as being good for the consumer. So, yes, I think we can see why they're doing it. You know, Baidu is a good example. You're right. That was from a bunch of years ago. But Baidu had aspirations to get into e-commerce itself. So they didn't want to link, you know, into Tmall. Um, as these barriers come down and they're going to link into each other, it is going to spread the market out and make it harder to keep a monopoly. Back to just looking at, you know, and, and doing that 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 postmortem on, on 11.11. What about the marketing side of things? Okay, so we, we covered product and sectors there. We In categories, we talked about platforms. What about... Uh, creative uh, promotional tactics? What about marketing? What did you see that you thought was either really cool, really interesting, or actually none of the above, and it was kind of boring? I think the live streamers, I mean, that's not a new story. That, that's that been going on for a long time. The, the numbers that are coming out in terms of the different sessions we've seen, and we don't have yesterday's numbers yet, but are just mind-boggling in terms of you know, the very insanely large amounts of revenue that was driven to a very short amount of time. But I think one of the things that's overlooked is what they've done is they've really allowed customers to sort of center their attention on the live streamers because you know, these aren't just one or two people in these operations. In a lot of cases, they've got hundreds of people that are scouring for partners on the different products that are the best deal. So when people see products on these shows, they know already that it's the best price. You know, if you look back to buying behavior from a couple of years ago, people would have had to buy on buying a certain type of product. They'd, they'd 
look around. They'd shop around. Now that we're not getting a whole bunch more users onto team all year after year like we were before, what's happening now is there's mechanisms in place for people to buy more. So if they see that lipstick, they don't need to go make 10 searches to make sure they're getting the best price. The streamers are guaranteeing that they're going to get the best price, giving them more time for shopping. Now, we were talking a little bit about potentially this um, encouragement of competition could be really just trying to raise the overall level of GMV, right? It's good for the numbers. Recognizing that 2020 was obviously a pretty wacky year due to the onset of COVID and, you know, all the things, the fun things that come with that. How do you expect 2021 to come in in terms of overall GMV in China? I think we're expecting, you know, um, we were kind of looking between 20 to 25 percent. However, Q4 is especially strong. You might be looking more back up into the 30 percent range. And that's kind of consistent uh, where the growth levels have been sort of over the years. And you're right. I mean, you can't really take last year into account. Um, Q2 was just enormous last year. But again, that was after all the shutdowns and there was a lot of pent up demand. Um, but, you know, I think we're, we're still... You know, certainly north of 20, yet, yet to see some of the numbers that are coming in wouldn't surprise me if they get as high as 30. Yeah, yeah, that's and that would be great. Um, I think just generally speaking, we love to see good, healthy numbers, um, good, healthy economy numbers, even though maybe a lot of the world isn't feeling as healthy. There's been a lot of discussion of domestic Chinese brands performing strongly in the market right now. But, you know, you guys at WPIC are still onboarding foreign brands pretty regularly. Do you still see the room for foreign brands in China going forward? Yeah, there's absolutely no doubt about that. And I think there's also a lot of misconceptions about why the local brands are doing well. In a lot of cases, you know, they have an easier time of it because they're focused solely on China. Very few of them have global ambitions because the market is just so large here. So when they're taking in their data... And they're, they're taking that feedback on the products that they're making. They're very specifically designed for China. Um, you know, global brands don't really have that luxury in a lot of cases. Some have opened up offices here in R&D here and are starting to do that. And they're doing incredibly well, arguably even better than the local brands. Um, but in some cases, you know, global brands, um, you know, they're doing well, but their product offering maybe only appeals to a segment of the Chinese market, you know, depending on price points or fashion styles, it might be the more affluent, etc. Um, whereas a local brand is going to design products and product sets that are really going to fit specifically the entire market. So what you see is not global brands going down, but the share of the increase in that consumption is is being grabbed up more and more by local brands. And let's not also forget that they did start, you know, eight or nine years ago, way behind in terms of the foreign brands here. So it's kind of a little bit of a catch up game as well. Potentially, it's a sign that China is starting to become comfortable in their skin. I think there was a pretty unwritten rule that no uh, foreign uh, entity in any sector was uh, going to be allowed to be the incumbent in China. That was not going to happen. Uber, Microsoft, you know, the rest, Facebook, you know, they were going to protect the landscape so that it was going to be local champions at the head of each category. Um, Do you think now that Maybe we're seeing, you know, again, even just with more platforms, somewhat relaxing of regulation uh, around competition, even, you know, like you said, making it illegal to have monopoly in certain areas. Do you do you think now is is potentially and going forward is even the best time 
for foreign brands because they won't necessarily be meeting as much of a headwind to get into China, potentially start getting your ducks in a row now? Well, I think we've got to, you know, you, you listed a lot of examples there. I think we've got to get serious about some things here too. Um, you know, in general, let's face it, DD is a better product than Uber. Quite substantially so. Um, you know, in terms of the quality of service, you know, and um, just the product quality, you know, the app's better, the experience is better. Um, so to say that that was sort of, you know, regulatory, I mean, it just wasn't. They weren't, Uber was not winning market share. They were losing money hand over fist to China, despite their best efforts. Um, and there's certainly been no, you know, real compelling argument that I've ever seen that that had anything to do with government involvement or, or support from the regulators. So in a lot of cases, um, you know, these brands are worthy of competition. So, uh, you know, and we, and quite frankly, you know, putting up a walled garden around China, the vast majority of products that are produced here are exported. So certainly nobody would want, you know, access to other uh, markets impeded because they were doing that here. The, the actual larger consumption markets are still outside of China. China does have a long way to grow. It's not even the number one consumption market in the world, despite how much you know um, e-commerce activity goes on here. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, what are you watching in the China commerce space, e-commerce or otherwise, as we head into 2022? Other, you know, what other platforms, regulatory changes, all the things that we've mentioned. What are you going to be paying close attention to as key indicators? I think there's going to be a lot more platforms. I think that, you know, there's going to be a lot more key players. I think it's something that we've been preparing for for quite a while. I mean, I might have, if you were asking this time last year, probably thought Doyen was going to take a larger portion of e-commerce growth at this point. Um, but it's absolutely happening. Um, you know, Kwai shows numbers. I'm not sure how reliable they are, but in terms of their live streamers are starting to catch up with T-Malls. So there are other players out there um, that are starting to, you know, erode into this. And the fact that, you know, they can easily access these new open logistics networks. Um, you know, it took Tmall 10 years to build up the sign out network. JD probably five or six years. And now that they've been spun out and they can't just exclusively serve their previous parent codes, it's going to make the barrier to entry a lot lower. For some of these platforms and again they've already got hundreds of millions of users on them watching their video content it's not a hard stretch to commercialize that we have to talk about the pipl which is china's personal information protection law maybe explain a little bit about what the pipl is and, and for those who don't know china just instituted the pipl around consumer data privacy right can you talk a little bit about what that means for consumers for foreign brands in the market, local brands, local platforms, local providers, um, ICPs, the rest. And what do you think the net effect is going to be over the next five years? Well, for one, I don't think we're done with the regulators in terms of what's done with, with personal data. I think that's actually going to be um, further enhanced. Uh, I think what's happened this year, too, it's also not the first time a new law has come into place. I think what's actually happened this year is, is the regulators have started to actually take action and make people take those new laws seriously. Um, but it's certainly going to affect retargeting. I mean, it's not maybe from a merchant point of view so noticeable yet. I mean, most people were storing their data in China and encrypting it. But in terms of how the big boys are using it, um, 
you know, the information that they have to retarget now is going to be limited. So it might drive advertising rates up, quite frankly, um, in the short term. That might be the biggest effect that it's going to have on merchants. But um, in terms of the, yeah, the people that are actually selling, there's, you know, half a dozen things probably that you're going to need to absolutely double check to make sure that you're compliant. Because if you're not, um, the penalties are pretty steep. Let's break a little bit of news here for our listeners. Can you introduce, and when, you know, I'm going to be intentionally vague here, can you introduce what WPAC Marketing Technologies is doing in Southeast Asia right now? Yeah, certainly. So we've been working on this for quite a while, but we have now actually opened up more partnerships with platforms um, across Southeast Asia, including Shopee and, and Lazada. That's now going to be covering uh, eight markets in Southeast Asia, um, which is pretty much everything. Um, and this is just sort of part of our global expansion plans. You know, we've been in Japan now for a couple of years, and we really want to be able to maximize the services that we're being able to offer our clients. So, you know, if we already are taking inventory out into this part of the world, we want to be able to provide as many front ends on our existing backend infrastructure as possible. It's been a strategy for a couple of years, but um, it's really starting to take off. That's amazing. Love it. Um, I can't wait to, to see where that goes. I think it's going to be huge. Uh, I think it's a really important. Uh, and I think that it's, you know, always a good play to, you know, I mean, China is an amazing entry point. It's also a good jumping off point to start exploring other yeah, areas of Southeast Asia, because let's not forget, there is a massive amount of uh, population uh, south of China as well and over to the east. So um, that's going to be a lot of fun. I look forward to that. And a young population, too. Yeah, that's right. Talk to us a little bit about what demographic differences you're seeing between China, which we know is a bit of an aging population versus um, Southeast Asia. Same, different. How, why? Well, it's exactly right. Um, you know, e-commerce has normally been adopted by younger consumers. First, it's been easier. Now, actually, China's done a really good job of of making sort of e-commerce universal. Um you know, it actually still amazes me, even how the older generations have really adjusted behavior, you know, like from going to the markets and picking up your groceries to being able to buy this stuff online. Um, you know, that, that was thousands of years of, of culture that was able to be modernized in a very short amount of time. But when you look at the growth rates now in Southeast Asia, they have a very young population. Their GMV numbers are some of the highest growth in the world. Um, and it is. Once you start putting that area together, it's you know, you're talking in the hundreds of millions. Um, healthy demographics, been great growth for a long time, and they're really starting to develop and come into their own. Um, you know, e-commerce has its own set of challenges in those markets. Logistics is still way behind where it is in China. But when we look at the growth numbers, um, you know, we see it catching up quickly. And for those that don't know too, Lazada is uh, owned by Alibaba. So a lot of that Chinese technology uh, for e-commerce is being invested in uh, and being sent down to that area as well. So it really makes sense for us to follow that. What are the keys to being successful in this, in this adventure? And, and how long has your team been working on this? Well, I think data, which has always been a key, uh, getting great analytics, being able to you know have a starting point and make sure that you're funneling in, listening to consumer stats, and being able to improve your offering and your results, you know, week over week and month over month. But um, so in terms of that, there's really no different approach. We're very data centered. Um, you know, we've got a lot of philosophies on on making sure that your data is accurate, making sure that you know you're going to win for your for your clients based on getting great information about the market. And that's why people want to work with WPIC. Of course. Awesome. Jacob, thanks very much for coming on. I want to quickly just insert here that we are going to be bringing you back for 
a full Olympics dedicated episode coming up in early 2022, looking ahead, looking forward to the Winter Olympics. And gosh, it just seems like the the last Winter Olympics just happened not too long ago, uh, which is actually true. So um, here we go. We get it again very soon, coming up just in a few months, and we will have you back for that episode. But for now, thank you very, very much for jumping on and doing this uh, Singles Day kind of postmortem with us today. Thanks a lot for having me. Looking forward to the next one. Growing a company is hard. Doing it in a foreign market? Exponentially so. The best piece of advice I can give you is not to do it alone. When you start looking across the pond for further expansion possibilities, and I sincerely hope that you do, make sure you choose the right partners to do it with. My good friends at WPIC Marketing and Technologies have almost 20 years of experience helping brands just like yours enter China. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Negotiation. And if you're interested in being a guest or want to connect with me or any of our team, please reach out to us at podcast at WPIC.co. And be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Zai Jing.